Today we begin a sermon series titled God's Vocabulary. Throughout these summer months, each Sunday we'll be visiting a different word that speaks to the core of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a Christian in our world today. And so we begin this Sunday with perhaps the most basic of God's vocabulary, faith. Let us continue listening now for a word from God with these verses from the letter to the Hebrews, the 11th chapter, beginning with the first verse, a lesson to the early church on what faith is. The writer of that letter says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The letter then goes on to tell the story of several of those ancients and of their faith from Abel to Enoch, Noah, and Abraham, and then picks back up in the 13th verse. All these people, he writes, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that you will go ahead of us now. That you will prepare for us a place of new understanding, of deeper faith, a place that we are not quite yet at. God, we do pray that your spirit will move in this time and in this space, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might move our feet a few more steps down that path. We pray these things, God, because we know with you they are possible, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About Six or eight months ago, I stopped keeping my phone on the little nightstand next to my bed. It was sort of twofold the reason why. The first was that the buzzing and ambient light that seemed to show up at all hours of night became a little bit too much for me, just a few feet from my head. But the other reason, and I think the more disturbing reason, were the messages and the stories that that buzzing and that ambient light carried with them. I'd wake up some days and I'd look through whatever came in the night and it would be disturbing enough to make me wonder if I really even wanted to get out of bed that day. I mean, even this week, right? I eventually get to my phone every day. It's in the kitchen most nights now. I found it one morning this week, and within 30 seconds, I had read of tankers on fire in the Gulf of Oman, of these 
deep fake videos. Have you all been following this? We should be disturbed by these things. We have a hard enough time distinguishing truth from fiction in writing, much less these videos that look real but are entirely fabricated. I read of islands disappearing as a result of sea rise, of measles and other diseases that we haven't seen for generations suddenly reappearing on the radar. There are these days, right, these days when we feel, even before the day gets going, like we've been plucked up and set into that scene from Ezekiel's story today, these, these dry, desolate, hot valleys that are just full of bones. Bones of things that could have been, bones of things that once were, bones of things that should have been and aren't. And that's just the stuff we're getting from our screens. Some of us here, some of us right now are living in those valleys. Those valleys are real and they're raw and they're all-encompassing today. Some of us woke up this morning and the depression is still there. Some of us are walking around every day feeling the weight of that lead jacket of anxiety, of illness. Some of us are still living with the effects of abuse and shame and grief. There's so much grief in the world. Two different times this week, completely different situations. Someone asked me with tears in their eyes, Alan, do you think I'll see my loved one on the other side? Alan, can these bones live? You know, in some respects, it's a funny word to begin a sermon series on God's vocabulary with, faith. I mean, what is faith, right? If it's coming to church like all of us today, if it's giving up a few days of your summer and going on a choir tour and singing the songs of faith, or maybe you're one of these people who when the readings in church on a Sunday are from Ezekiel and Hebrews, you're one of those show-offs who doesn't need the glossary or the page number to know exactly where it is in your pew Bible. What is faith? I mean, if faith is being able to say things to people like, well, everything happens for a reason, or to tell someone a big, long story about something awful that happened and finish it with that wonderful line, but my faith wasn't even shaken. I mean, if faith is just some abstract belief in something bigger, then I suppose all of us are getting at least a passing grade, right? But what if there is more to it? <laughs> I read this week a pastor writing about a conversation he had had with a parishioner. And the parishioner confessed to her pastor, you know, I think, I think, I believe. But pastor, I worry that if I had to take a polygraph exam about my faith, I might fail. I suspect if we're being honest, that person is not alone in their worry. Y'all remember learning about the origins of the modern English alphabet? We'll take a different street for a moment. If you remember your old world history book pulled down off the shelf, dust the dust off, 
chapter three or four, you probably learned about these ancient Phoenicians. They lived in what is now modern day Israel and Lebanon on that side of the Mediterranean. And a lot of scholars today trace back to their Uh, Semitic alphabet, 30 different signs they came up with. They trace all modern alphabets back to those 30 signs. It's pretty incredible. The Greeks got it from the Phoenicians. The Romans got it from the Greeks. Eventually, the Irish or the Celts, they took it to Ireland and modern-day UK. And eventually, it became our, our modern English alphabet. But they look back and they consider those 30 signs, these scholars, to be the ultimate ancestor of our alphabet. That's a little how I feel about this word, faith. Faith is the ultimate ancestor of all the other words in God's vocabulary. It's this word with with roots that run far deeper than simply believing in some abstract higher being. And simply coming to church, faith, its roots run deeper even than knowing your Bible inside out. Think of some of the faith-filled people who you have known in your life. Most of the faith-filled people that I have ever known, they cannot necessarily quote scripture by heart. You put them in a room with a good Southern Baptist and start playing the scripture game, they're probably not going to win it. Some of the most faith-filled people that I have ever known, as often as they have the right words, they have no words at all. Some of the most faith-filled people that I've ever known, they see and acknowledge and live in those dry valleys that we all know, right? They have phones too. They don't live in some world where they get to pretend nothing bad has ever happened. They live in those valleys, and yet they live with this conviction in the core of their being that though they are surrounded by bones in those valleys, those bones do not and will not have the final word. These are people who will look into the eyes of others, who ask them those questions like, will I see my loved one on the other side? And they'll answer them. They'll say, you know, I don't know because I haven't been to the other side. But let me tell you what I do know. I do know that the God we meet in Jesus Christ is good. And because God is good, because this God can take even the driest bones and bring forth life from them, I have faith that the answer to your question is absolutely. Some of the most faith-filled people teach us that authentic Christian faith is faith that witnesses to hope. That witnesses, using those words from the letter to the Hebrews, witnesses to those things that we do not or cannot yet see. Faith witnesses to hope. You know, it's an amazing thing. A little over two weeks ago now, myself and a few others, I know in the early service, maybe here now, we were in this hotel conference room in East Jerusalem with two faith-filled people. The first was this man named Rami Elhanan. 
1997, Rami's then 14-year-old daughter had just finished her first day of school. She was walking to a bookstore in central Jerusalem when she and her two friends and two others were killed when two suicide bombers detonated their vests. Fourteen years old. Rami talked to our group that night about how his first emotion was the one I think any person would have. It was rage. It was anger. Eventually it moved to a desire for revenge. And then it finally got to this place where he said, you know, anger, it's so powerful, it will sweep you up every time if you let it. But I got to this place where I started asking myself questions instead. I knew that my desire for my revenge, desire to to kill someone else, would not ease my pain, nor would it bring my daughter back. And so instead I began to look for answers. I asked myself, "Why why did this happen? I asked myself, how could something as awful, as terrible as this happen? What can cause someone to be so angry that they're willing to blow themselves up? These questions, they eventually led him to this incredible organization called Families Forum, Parents Circle Families Forum. It's an organization that's now been around for several decades. It consists nowadays of over 600 Israeli and Palestinian families. And the one thing that they all have in common is that every family member there has lost a close loved one as a result of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He remembers his first meeting where this bus of Palestinians from the West Bank pulled in to the venue they were meeting at there in Jerusalem And this was a man, he said, I'd been taught basically to hate Palestinians. That's how I was raised. They were only out to hurt us, to get us. And in this day at this first meeting, all of a sudden I was confronted by something very different. These Palestinian families, they they deboarded off their bus. And he says, I remember this one old woman in particular, covered head to toe in black, but around her, her, her neck was a photo of a little six-year-old girl. And he said, this moment, it, it profoundly changed me because I realized that those people getting off that bus are human, just like me. I realized that what we have in common is perhaps the most strong thing two people can have in common in this world. We shared suffering. We knew how each other was hurting. And it changed him, seeing these people as humans, seeing these people carrying the same burdens, the same suffering that that he was carrying, that he got invested in this group and in its work. And it was through this group that he met the other man in that room two and a half weeks ago, a man named Bassam Aramim. Bassam is not Jewish-Israeli. He's Palestinian-Muslim from the West Bank. Bassam's 10-year-old daughter, about a decade after Rami lost his child, she was killed by an Israeli border police officer who shot her in the back with a rubber bullet for no reason. These two men sitting side by side in this room, these two men with every reason in the world to hate one another, 
to hate one another for what their side had done to the other. But instead, they love one another. Rami introduced Bassam to our group as the closest human being to him in this world. Closer even than his own family. They love one another like brothers. And now they travel. They travel the country. They go into schools in Israel and in Palestine to teach the kids, to teach the next generation that peace, it will only come through ordinary people like them and like us who are willing to get to know and trust one another. And I'm telling you all this story because of the sense that prevailed in the room that night. Hearing them tell their story, it was as if the air itself was transformed into something holy. There was this weight to that space, this weight that was created by this love that these two people, completely different people, had for one another. And the only word that I could come up with to describe what it was that created the weight in the room that night, what it was they were sharing with this connection that they had that was so evident, the only word I could come up with was faith. Here were two people witnessing to hope. Two people offering a different vision for the world. A vision different than the one they had been given growing up to hate one another. A different vision than the narrative so many of us are used to hearing about Israel and Palestine and how they do or do not coexist together. Here were two people who had walked through those valleys, who knew what the bones looked like, and yet they refused to accept that those bones would be the final word. There's a line that comes right after where Lee finished reading earlier from Ezekiel. The Lord plucks the prophet up and says to walk back and forth between these bones, and he asks him, can these bones live? And then, then the Lord says to him, prophesy to these bones. Friends, that is faith. Faith is a life spent prophesying, spent seeing the world differently and showing others what you see. Faith is this quiet insistence on living as ones who belong to God, no matter how desolate and lonely that work feels. Faith is trusting and living from a trust that even bones have life. Faith is the shoot from which all the other words in God's vocabulary sprout. It is the soil that God's vocabulary is planted in. So we'll see you next week to see what sprouts forth from faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.